0: He is the good shepherd. He provides for us so lovingly. He protects us. He provides contentment and guidance and restoration for our souls. He refreshes us, blesses us in every way, empowers us to live this life, and gives us eternal life on top of that. In Matthew's account of the gospel, we step into a place here in Matthew chapter 8 where a scribe or a teacher of the law of that day comes to Jesus and says he will follow him. Now, Jesus had just healed many of diseases and cast out demons. Matthew tells of the leper who was cleansed and the centurion's servant who was healed from a distance. And Peter's own mother-in-law just been healed. And that evening, everyone came and they were healed and delivered. And the picture here is that it was an exciting time. In the ministry and life of Jesus. And who could blame this teacher. This scribe for wanting to be a part of it. And to follow along. Reading it again in Matthew 8. Starting at the 18th verse says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So all this had just taken place, and Jesus telling his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. says here he gave orders. In another translation, it said he constrained them to go. So he, he had some resistance, even amongst those who were already his followers, to go to the other side, and that's a whole other message. So the scribe walks up to him then, the scripture I just mentioned to you. He says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus turns to him, and he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What, was he just trying to run the guy off? No. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me go bury my father. And then, then I want to follow you too. I mean, that sounds very reasonable. Let me tell you something. The guy's father wasn't dead. You know, they buried him the same day. Back then, according to their custom. The point is... He might have been saying his father was old or who knows, even if he was dead. Jesus said, follow me. You let the dead bury their own dead. Now that's hard. That sounds hard right there. Jesus was saying there's nothing more important than the kingdom, than this gospel, than this ministry. There's nothing that matters more. He's saying let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead. You come and tell people about this new life that's available to them. He wanted them to do a reality check as to the great cost that was involved in following him and serving him. It wasn't just good times and miracles and signs and wonders. And he knew what was to come. And he wanted them to count the cost. There had been and there would be great cost. We know the cost to him. It was total. And to these disciples, the same thing that he endured, they mostly endured. They were all killed except for John. And for us today, it's not something to be entered into lightly. It's important that we understand this as I believe in that poverty is not of God. Strife and discontentment and all the things that plague our society are not of God. I will try always to be an example that God wants to prosper His children and He has nothing against Us being blessed and having things. He definitely doesn't want us impoverished. He wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. And all these things are truth. But sometimes that's all you get. That's the only message you get sometimes. Is about what you're going to get. And believe me. It's all about Him. Not all about us. He loves us and He does provide for us. He does care for us. He does want good things and the abundant life of an overcomer free from sin and sickness and poverty and all those things. And if you keep Him first in your life, He will will tend to those things always. But there's more to it. There's great costs then and now. In the same account of these Scriptures that I'm talking about in Matthew 8, Luke talks about it in his Gospel in chapter 9 around the 57th verse. He says the same thing. He says they were going along. Someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said the same thing. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Jesus chose to live a life on the road, ministering the gospel, and He didn't even have a, a real home. And He wanted to let them know it, it, would, it would be hard. The other one said, follow me. He said, let, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as far as you go and... Proclaim the kingdom of God. And then a third one in Luke's gospel comes up in the 61st verse. He says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Well, that's easy. I mean, at least go say goodbye. And this verse 62, I think Jesus wasn't just speaking to him. I think at that point, Jesus just spoke up to all of them. That's just me. But I think Jesus spoke up and said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me just get this straight. You're either all in or you're not in at all. But Jesus said lots of hard things. Things that not many understood in that time and they still don't today. And I tell you part of the reason why. Because His words are spiritual. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what it says in John 4.24. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, but the natural The unsaved or carnal man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We were talking recently about the new man that we become when we're when we're saved at salvation, how the Spirit of God comes in, that spirit of iniquity is cast out. And so we are different. And so this is how we hear God now. This is how his children, how you know God is speaking to you sometimes now, how you just have this fun relationship where, you know, along the way where God has shown himself faithful in your life. And he has spoken to you in a way that nobody else really would understand. It was some little silly thing to others, but you knew it was God. That's him talking to you. That's the Holy Spirit in you. It's only by his spirit in us that we're able to follow him. If someone doesn't have the Spirit of God living in them, they're not able to understand, follow, or hear God. Matter of fact, they don't even belong to Him. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. That's comforting. He's got you. He's got you, and He loves you. But, he said, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, remember Jesus is the door, but climbs in some other way. There are people in church that just like church. They have never really submitted their lives, yielded their lives to Jesus. They never really have been born again. They might like Jesus. He has a lot of fans, very few followers. There are a lot of fans that think he is one of the ways and there's other ways to heaven too. That's wrong. They don't belong to him. He didn't come down from heaven and die that terrible death he did just to be one of the ways to God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by or through me. He said, but the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, that's the Holy Spirit, and the sheep hear his voice, Jesus, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. If you ever hear Jesus talk to you, he'll never call you with your last name. He'll just, he knows, he'll call you by your first name. He's got another name for you too. He's going to give it to you one day. He's going to give you a little white stone. It's going to have your new name on it. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. You ever heard a message, whether it was on television or in person, and you're like, I... I don't don't know about all that. That's because it might not have been anointed. It, It might not have been from God. His word is anointed. Don't get me wrong. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Talking about following Jesus. As believers, we do have this great loving shepherd. We do hear his voice. You do have the light of life in you. And because of it, because of him the world will hate you. Don't be mistaken about this because it hated him. When you take a stand for him, the world will hate you. And your enemy, the devil, already hates you because you remind him of what he once had and will never have again. Make no mistake, you have a target on your back as a Christian and unless you're living a life of total compromise and political correctness trying to please everyone which Jesus did not, then you will suffer persecution. Suffering for His name is part of the deal. It's part of following Him. And it's important that you know this, what God says regarding this, because it's not bad. It's not all bad news. Jesus said to them all in Luke 9, He says, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. Does that mean we all have to go and be martyred? Otherwise, we didn't make the cut. No, it just means you have to lay down the life, the plans that you thought you had for yourself and find out the one that he has for you and take it up. Philippians 129 says for to you, it has been granted. Listen to this wording. It has been granted on behalf of Jesus Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you. Now we're getting somewhere. This is godly suffering I'm talking about. There's a lot of things that we bring on ourselves. And we like to blame God for but He didn't do those things. We open doors for the enemy. He comes on in. When we turn back to the Lord and run into the shelter of His arms, He helps us. But that's not the suffering I'm talking about. I'm talking about suffering because you're a Christian. Because you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know that you know that you know who your Lord and Savior is and what He has done for you. And you know your home is in heaven. And no matter what happens here, that will not change. One of my favorite scriptures that carried me through some very hard times was Romans, a passage of scripture. Romans eight fifteen through 18 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness in our spirit that we are children of God. When I found out I had a Father in heaven that loved me, I was so excited. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's even better news. If indeed we suffer with Him. uh Uh-oh. That we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that's a good place to stand right there. That will carry you through anything. That hope that awaits us. Jesus' suffering That we read about. That we know about. Should empower us to do some of the same. Truth be known. In Hebrews 12. Verses 1 through 3. It starts out talking about this. It says. So so lay aside every weight. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. What's the writer talking about? He's saying if you would just when you're really going through your struggles for your Christian faith and and you're being persecuted and you feel alone. Think about Jesus. He went through worse of the same kind of treatment from sinners. And he did it because he was looking past all that thinking about you, what he was accomplishing for you. And thinking about his father in heaven and the angels who are waiting for him to accomplish this amazing feat. To make a way for you into the family of God. And that will empower you. Remember, Jesus said regarding the apostle Paul when he was still Saul, when he got converted on the road to Damascus. He said he told that that other Christian that he he wanted to bring Paul into his home. He said he is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. It's part of it. And it's not that he wants to put suffering on you. It's that the world will put suffering on you. The devil will put suffering on you. These are at enmity with God, you see. And now you are in God's family. And so it just comes with the territory. Truthfully, our our dedication and commitment will be tested, will be proven or disproven through suffering or our unwillingness to suffer for Him. Some of the tests aren't easy because they reveal what we truly worship. And they require for us to choose between God and the world. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus that day all bragging all about himself? Lord, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, well, you know, he could tell. I mean, that's a legalistic statement. What do you do? You should be asking for mercy and what can be done for you. But he didn't say that. He just met him right where he was. He said, well, you know, do all those commandments and everything. You know, I've done all that. He said, I've already, I've always done all that. All the commandments, I've lived by those. But Jesus said, really? He said, well, then you uh, you lack one thing. Go... Go your way, go sell everything, whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad when he heard this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He couldn't even give a dollar. Jesus just pointed out his true God. That's what he was doing. He never asked me to give everything away. I'd already done a good job of losing almost everything by the time I came to know him anyway. And now he's restoring it actually. But none of this occurred for me either until I got to the place where it's like, it doesn't matter, Lord. It's just whatever. If you don't do anything else, you've already done enough. I'll follow you all the days of my life. Then he began to pour the blessings on, you see. But it was when I came to him in truth saying those things. When I finally hit bottom. A lot of times when we come to him, it's just because we're in a crisis, you know. That's okay, initially. But he wants to take it further. He wants all of you. Amen. Jesus said, He who does not take his cross and follow after me isn't worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what we were just talking about. It's this, it's this new life. It's this beautiful, overcoming life that he has written for you that he wants you to embark upon. Lay aside all of your preconceived notions and just come to him humbly. You see? All who desire... It says in 2 Timothy three twelve, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Jesus said, check out this challenge to our commitment. And just think if you were there, how hard this would have been for you. Jesus stands up one day. He says, he's got lots of his disciples and followers at this particular time in John chapter 6. And he says, he looks around and he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Huh? As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. What? Hey, we understand this because we just partook of that meal, you see. Amen. We we get it. The Holy Spirit has explained it to us. We see. They didn't get any of it. They What? This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And he said... Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that the disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who would betray him. And he said. Therefore I have said to you. That no one can come to me. Unless it has been granted to him. By my father. From that time on. Many of his disciples. Turned back. And followed him. No more. That's John 6. 6, 6-6. Antichrist. Followed him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve. To his inner circle. Peter, James and John. And the other. In the 12, he says, uh, y'all want to leave too? (laughs) Jesus was not easy to hang around. And he never really explained himself much. He would tell you the truth one time, and that was it. But listen, Simon Peter answered him. Now listen carefully to this, because this is the answer we all need to come to, which will make following Jesus effortless. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Perfect answer. Once you know and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, how can there be any other response? And as unpleasant as it sounds, this this suffering, there are great benefits to it. I just want to share a couple of them with you and then we're done just to encourage you because I don't want you to, to think that it's about this weird kind of suffering. You see, Jesus is, is not sadistic. He not, he's not out to hurt you. He wants to bless you and help you. The devil comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the one causing the suffering. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. And he's not talking about this self-inflicted suffering. There are, there are suffering ministries where they just they take these poverty vows and they inflict themselves with all kinds of you know, fasting and this and that and the other to, to, to bring their flesh low. And this is not what he's talking about. If you fast, it should be for you to, to clear your mind and, and to help you to hear God more clearly and to, to work on yourself, not to get Him to do anything for you. He's already done it all. Amen. Amen. But <laughs> let me just give you a couple of scriptures to help you to edify you. This because when we're, we're strengthening our faith, when we go through this kind of godly suffering, and I'm telling you this because you need to know. Because this way, when it comes up, you'll be prepared. You'll say, "Oh, I'm already aware of the enemy's tactics, and I've already heard what the Lord has to say to me, and I know He's with me, strengthening me, and I'm not, I'm not moved by this." You see. I'll never deny my Lord, my King. He's right here with me. He's fighting my battles. Makes it easier. Your faith muscles will grow. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy when you fall into all various kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let, there's a cooperation here, you have to let patience have its perfect work. Because trials and and, and problems don't always bring us to a higher level, do they? Otherwise, no one would ever... Go back to prison. The recidivism rate would be zero. Everyone would learn from their mistakes. But it's not that way. There's a part that we have to play. We have to let patience have its perfect work. That we may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. You see that we can grow through these things. How many of you want to take the test over again all the time? No hands. Good answer. So if we allow growth to come through these times, we allow our relationship to build and our faith to strengthen through these times, it will edify us. Peter talks about it, too. And there's encouragement here with, from Peter. I love this because it, it helps us, especially when I was new to the faith. And I felt like I was terribly suffering and everything was weird and I, was, I didn't know what was happening to me. All the people I thought I knew, they were gone and I couldn't have these friends. I had to change everything and I had a whole new world and it was scary. And you see, at the time, my household wasn't with me yet. It was just a fad or something, they thought, you know. So you feel pretty alone. Well, look what Peter says in First Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, he's talking to you. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. I was like, okay, he's talking to me. I've got to hear what he has to say. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He has blasphemed. But on your part, He is glorified. You see, when this happens to you, it's because, it's because of Christ in you. It's because they see this light. And they hate Him. They hate Jesus. And they hate you because you, you are part of His body now. But it's nothing to be afraid of. I also count all things lost, Paul says in Philippians 3, Being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He was just being humble. He knew that he was going to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Just as Christ did. That same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And gives life to your mortal bodies. Do you know you died with Christ? And now you're a supernatural being. If you belong to him. And this suffering that we're called to. That I'm talking about today. It conforms us really to the image of Christ, which is what your whole life is all about. For whom he did foreknow Romans eight twenty-nine, he also did predestinate God to be conformed to the image of his son. That's you. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren or brothers and sisters. You're being changed. This word today, just hearing this gospel, this living word, this seed of the word of God going in, it is changing you, glory to glory, as you see Jesus in the scriptures. You are becoming more and more like Him. But listen to what Peter says. He says, "But but may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, count on this. Anytime you're going through something and it's." you feel like you're just being persecuted and it's just because you want to live for Christ and and nobody else kind of gets it and you're going through, you feel separated and alone and ridiculed and persecuted. Peter said, after you suffer for a little while, He will establish and strengthen and settle you. In other words, there are times of refreshing. You can count on it. It's like when things seem hopeless and you're living, you're trying to live for God and you seem like you're just way down there in the dumps and you don't see anything good coming right away trust God. He's he's bringing times of refreshing. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, these are promises of God. You're not just a regular person anymore. You belong to Him. He's not going to leave you abandoned or alone. He's faithful. Matter of fact, He never left you. He was always there. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hallelujah. Suffering for Jesus can bring great joy when we have proper and eternal perspective. We're only here for a flicker. Sometimes it can seem forever, but it's not. Eternity is a long time. And that's what you need to warn your ungodly friends about. You need to hook up with Jesus. He's for real and he's forever. And so is the grim alternative, unfortunately. Paul said, listen to these three witnesses that talk about about what I'm saying here. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He was in chains in prison when he wrote this. He said, for me to live is Christ. Because Christ in him. And he was... He was ministering even in prison. He says, but to die is gain also. He said, but if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful of you. In other words, he was thinking of those he was helping through his ministry and his writings and teachings. Either way, Hey, Paul, we're going to kill you today. Awesome. I get to be with Jesus. Hey, Paul, we're going to let you loose. Awesome. I get to help others know Jesus. You couldn't scare him. The, the fear of death is gone because we're not going to die again. Jesus died once for all. All we're going to do is just trade this in for a supernatural one. Hallelujah! <laughs> Amen. Paul, Peter and the other apostles, one time in the, in the book of Acts, and we're almost done, in the fifth chapter, they were, they were beaten for preaching the name of Jesus. And they weren't supposed to do that. They were put into prison. They were beaten. And then they, they were turned loose. And they departed from the presence of the council when they cut them loose. Here, here they are bleeding and, and hurting, I'm sure. But they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the, the name of Jesus. That's supernatural, you see. The world can't understand something like that. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. James reminds us of the, of the prophets who preached all about Jesus coming and, and suffered and died for it. He said, my brethren, take, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure all of these, including Jesus himself. They're examples for us to take from this word, to encourage and strengthen us in our suffering. But not when we suffer, remember, for things that we have done to cause it ourselves. But when we suffer for being a Christian, there's a great reward. It says, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. He sees. He sees. Nobody's getting away with anything. But you don't have to hold them accountable. You don't have to be bitter and hold unforgiveness. Let all that stuff go. Trust God. He sees it all. He'll deal with it His way and His time you just trust him and you just love and forgive be free don't erect any prisons cells for yourself by holding grudges for if you do this if you if you suffer and take it patiently if you do this you were called to do this because christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps he jesus who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. He could have called down 10,000 angels to, to, to kill them all. He didn't because He was thinking of you and me. He didn't threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. He said, My Father's got this. Amen. And that's what we can do. He Himself bore our sins on His body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. Remember, when you suffer for His name's sake, You're actually accomplishing His purpose. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. No matter what my situations and circumstances are, it doesn't change anything between me and God, you see. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For this reason, I also suffer these things he said to Timothy. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. It was fitting for him. Hebrews 2 says, Father God for whom all things are all things and by whom all are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, Jesus perfect through sufferings. Though he Jesus was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now we're done here. But let me, what's the reason for us knowing this? Why did I have to go here? This, this suffering. Last week, is all about the Good Shepherd who takes care of us and watches over us. Sets a table before us with 20-foot angels all around and, and nothing can happen to us. It's all good. This week, we've got to suffer. What's going on? As times grow nearer to the end, people's love will grow cold. They'll become calloused. And this comes by practice. It doesn't just happen all at once. But the world is turning more and more ungodly and against Christ, against Christians. In Matthew 24, Jesus says it. In Matthew 24, starting at the 10th verse, He says, many will fall away. He's talking about from the church. And betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. A lot of weird doctrines and teachings will come up. And people will be searching out teachers and churches and places they can go and just tell me what I want to hear. Make me feel good. And don't don't put any part for me to play in it. Because the true word of God, the gospel, the enemy will not be comfortable in its midst. You see, there'll be lots of false teachers that arise. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, he says. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, this end, don't be afraid when I talk like that. There's nothing to fear for believers. Nothing. A time when our Lord will return with all His, in all His glory. With all who have gone ahead of us believing on Him. He'll bring them back with Him. And thousands upon thousands of His angels. He will set up His kingdom here on the earth. And one day, He'll be here with us. And this day that I'm talking about, there'll be no more need for the sun because God Himself will be our light. There will be no shadows because God's light will fill everything. The sun won't be needed. Satan will be finally done away with. Sin will be banished from our midst. The curse will be no more. There will be no more tears, no more sorrow. As people are invited to live with God, partaking finally of the tree of life that we were forbidden of in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. He's willingly saying, partake of the tree of life now and live forever with me. And so, now you're prepared. You know a little more than you did before. And you're prepared. You're strengthened because of it. You're edified. And I would just encourage you that if if you're saying to the Lord as that, that scribe did that day, I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you go. You know what Jesus is saying? Yes, follow me. I want you to follow me. That's my greatest desire. But remember, whosoever desires to come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and come follow me. I have great things in store for you. I've written a perfect plan for your life. And it's amazing. But you have to let me lead you. You have to follow me. And I'll show you some beautiful things.